Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Bevan, I am excited to have you here with us today on the Clever Girls Know podcast to talk to us about how to get started as a real estate investor or how to get started with real estate investing based on your experience and how you got started. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me, Bola. This is amazing. Uh, My name is Bevan Morgan, as you mentioned, and I'm a financial trainer at the Financial Gym. I have been in real estate investing as part of my portfolio for about three years now. Um, I have four total units, two duplexes, and I am looking to increase that by about another six units for now. That being said, um, I am a self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, and I love all things personal finance. I'm all about learning the new uh, things around investing and always growing in that way. I love that. I love the idea of being a finance nerd. You're kind of right (laughs) down my alleyway. So I want, before we kind of get into the real estate aspect, I want to start a little earlier in your story, right? Because there was a buildup to you investing in real estate. And obviously anyone who is beginning or thinking about starting investing in real estate, it's a good idea for them to get a sense of, you know, where to start first and how to plan. So one of the first things that you pursued on this journey towards getting to real estate is becoming debt-free. You were able to pay off all of your debt, and I'd love for you to give us some color around how much debt you paid off, over what timeline, and what income you were working with at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think like most people, you know, I graduated from undergrad and then went almost directly into business school. And when I graduated from business school, I had quite a bit of student loan debt. Um, And around that same time, I met my now husband, you know, we moved in together, he brought his debt into our couple. And, you know, we were like, okay, we're starting this life together. We have these debts. What are, what are we going to do? How do we want to do all of this stuff? So between my 50-ish thousand dollars in student loans, about $6,000 in credit card debt, um, his, you know, auto loans, my auto loan, we probably had around $70,000 in debt. 
Um, and this was while we were thinking about, you know, saving for a wedding and saving for a down payment on a house. So <laughs> like all of the things, the whole American dream pie, right? So combined, our our total household income at that time was right, like right over the $100,000 line. And, um, you know, we were living in Austin, Texas, which is a relatively low cost area, but um you know, like I think we were paying like $850 a month for rent, that sort of thing. So really the way that we paid off this debt and I, my philosophy has changed a little bit since then, but we were, we were doing the whole like Dave Ramsey method, you know, so we did not leave the house. (laughs) We, you know, we were definitely not eating out none of those sorts of things. And what we ended up doing is um, using his income to pay the rent, the bills, all of that stuff. And literally a hundred percent of my uh, check went directly towards the debt pay down every single month. Oh, wow. So you guys focused on being really frugal, um, pursuing that method in order to be able to pay down this debt. And what was your timeline? Um, so I, it's funny because I think of my debt-free journey in like stages. I'm like, well, the first time we got debt-free was on this date and then we, you know, got more debt. Then we got debt-free again. Um, but the total timeline between paying off our first round of debt before we bought our house, which was new debt, was about two years. So um, it's funny because he and I started dating and then like basically we're an old married couple within the first like four months of our relationship. So it works out. Um, but yeah, we, we became a team really quickly and started working on that debt really quickly. So by the time we got married, about two years after meeting is when we were first, you know, out of debt for the first time. Okay. So you basically, you know, put your heads down, focused on paying off that 70K of your student loans, credit cards, auto loans um, on that combined salary you guys had of $100,000. And then you purchased your first home and then started thinking about investing in real estate. So let's kind of fast forward now to, you know, the topic of the podcast, which is how you got into real estate and how a beginner can get started in real estate. Because this is something that I get asked pretty often. Um, and I'm really glad to have you on the um, the show to talk about. It. So you've paid off this debt. Obviously, you still have the mortgage from the house that you bought. Um, why did you decide to invest in real estate outside of that first home that you guys purchased? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of real estate investors have a similar story in that you know, it's something that a parent was doing or they kind of grew up around it or, you know, the uncle always had like one tenant going or something like that. So I'm similar in that my dad was a loan officer, recently retired, go dad, um, but for my entire life. So he had like 30 odd years of experience in that. And every single day at the, you know, dinner table, I would hear him talking about, oh man, like this person's credit and these people are getting into a house and this and that. So it was kind of like the water that I swam in growing up. And after I purchased my first home, um, I realized that one, I, I loved it. I loved the process. I loved finding the home, negotiating the deal, doing all that kind of stuff. But then two, I've always been the kind of person who like will drive around town and be like, oh, check out that property. I wonder how much that costs, you know, like kind of looking up stuff on Zillow, trying to get the lay of the land and thinking about 
what type of commercial building should go into this space? I bet this neighborhood is about to go up in value. So um, I feel like it's kind of in my DNA. And when I um, decided to buy my first property, it was actually after I had moved from Austin to Lexington. So we sold our house in Austin, moved to Lexington, moved into a new house. We actually used a lot of the equity that we got from the purchase or from the sale of our Austin house to put a huge down payment on our Lexington house, paid off the mortgage in our Lexington house. And then, you know, all of a sudden I've got all this equity in this home here in Kentucky. And, you know, I'm looking at the, the landscape, I'm looking at the economy here, I'm looking at the housing values and how they're going up here in town. And I was just like, all right, opportunity meets uh, what is the, what is the phrase? It's like opportunity meets uh, preparation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you basically, you got that itch from your dad, hearing you talk about it. And I know how Zillow can be. You can spend hours just looking. And my husband does it all the time. He's on Zillow looking. And I'm like, what are you looking for? <laughs> You're like, what? House. Yeah. what else are you looking for? Yeah. But still, and it's actually fun because you get to see like, you know, comparing neighborhoods and prices, especially if you're in interested in that space. So you got that Zillow itch, you enjoyed purchasing your first home, which you then sold at a profit and you got all this, you know, money back that you were able to then use to set the stage for purchasing your, your next I guess, investment property. And I think the down payment aspect is something that many people find challenging when they think about, okay, I'm, I've saved for a down payment for my home, or I want to get into real estate investing, and I have to have this down payment. So I would love for you to share, you know, you were able to sell your home for a profit. Um, but at the same time, you're now doing other investments, right, in real estate, and you have to come up with the down payment. So I'd love for you to share like any tips or any helpful approaches in terms of how you were able to save or how you're able to continue saving for your down payments. Sure, yeah. So I feel like there's kind of an open secret in the real estate investing world, and that is the home equity line of credit. Um, while this isn't the only way that people save up for down payments, that is what I use. And that's what I've heard a lot of other real estate investors use is essentially, you know, if, if you choose to buy a home for yourself first, which a lot of people do, especially if they're, you know, growing a family or that sort of thing through either diligent payments or increase in your um, property value over time, as you're growing your equity, you have the opportunity to tap into that equity using a home equity line of credit. And the great thing about that as a um, source or fi a financial source is that typically the interest rate on it is extremely low. The one that I have right now is the federal interest rate or prime minus one is what they call it. So right now it's at like 2.25% is the interest rate on that money. So it's cheap money. And um because I had so much equity in the home that I live in now, I was able to use that as a down payment on both of my properties while maintaining a um, additional like safety fund, a reserve fund, so that I can make sure that, you know, when I needed to replace the windows in one of my duplexes, I had the finances available to do that. So that's really what I used. And um, that's what a lot of people have used. So that's that's um, 
interesting that you mentioned the home equity line of credit. And for folks who are listening who don't really understand the home equity line of credit, it's basically you being able to tap into the equity, like Bevan said, in your home that has appreciated over time or maybe, you know, within a period of time. And you can tap into this equity like a line of credit and use this money for other things. However, <laughs> when it comes to home equity line of credit, uh, you know, we, we have to think about the scenarios here, right? So a lot of people get into trouble with home equity line of credits because they tap into this line of credit to do, you know, renovations that don't really add to the value of the home or they're using it like a credit card and going shopping and paying for trips and all kinds of different things that just adds on to the debt and really impacts the value of their asset, which is their home, which, you know, makes it no longer an asset. And it's not this big liability that you've added debt Two, that is accumulating interest. So that's one scenario. That's not the scenario we're talking about. We're talking about Bevan's use of the home equity line of credit as an investment tool. So she is basically looking at this property that she has bought as an investment rate, and you are leveraging the equity in this one investment to add on another investment. So it's that whole idea of using other people's money in business to grow your business and when you think about investing in real estate, you know, not your primary home, but, you know, these units that you are building, Bevan, it's essentially a business. So that's one strategy. And obviously the other strategy is people who actually save the down payments, which is a longer road and it's a slower progression to, um, to make those, you know, down payments on those investment properties. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's a great point that you bring up, Bola, is just that, I had to be very intentional about how I prepared myself for this entire investment journey. And it is a business. I do have an LLC set up specifically for my properties. I have, you know, legal protections around everything. So I definitely took the time to set up like protective structures around this practice. And, you know, I, I would like to kind of slide in at this particular point that like real estate investing is not for a beginner. It's not for the faint of heart. It's definitely not the first investment that I would recommend anybody get into. And the reason why is because of exactly what you said, Bola, it takes, it can either take a very long amount of time to save up for that initial down payment, or it can take some kind of like advanced level financial maneuvering to find that money. Um, and, you know, I, I have plans for the future to like refinance the properties that I have so that I can take the money out of them to pay off my home equity line of credit so that my personal home isn't as tied into my business property. So, you know, I've, I've thought through the um, next steps, but with the reason why I was able to do all of that is because I spent a good eight months researching, talking to other people. Um, I joined my local real estate investors group to learn from the folks in that group before I bought anything at all. So this wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to buy a property next day I buy a property. Like I, I definitely did the research before starting this, this journey. Yes, I, I love that. And, you know, I just wanted to add just one other thing in terms of the home equity line of credit, you know, as we're thinking about it, because it is taking on additional debt. But when you think about real estate, 
investing as a business, right? The whole idea of investing in real estate is not just so you have 100 places to live. Well, for some people, (laughs) but for many people, it's to be able to rent it out and have tenants pay the expenses that cover not just the mortgage, but also that payment back to the home equity line of credit. And then as that property appreciates, then hopefully you're able to sell it, recoup additional profits and gains and pay off your debt or um, leverage the income you're getting, maybe through rent increases um, or just, you know, the income from rent is profitable enough where over time you're able to pay down the mortgage, pay down the home equity line of credit, and then start to reap a profit off of this um, asset, which is a property that really, if you have structured it properly, if you've done enough research, which we'll get into how you've done your research, Bevan, um, you're able to sustain it without actually taking much or any money out of your pocket. That's the goal with your investment, that it starts to earn for itself with those rent payments, with that appreciation, and you are not taking money out of your pocket to sustain this investment. So um, I just want to recap because we're talking about a lot of things here, but we talked about you becoming debt-free, setting up your real estate business as um a business, right? He's setting it up as a business entity, doing your research, looking at it as a true investment. And one thing that I love that you mentioned is that real estate investing, you wouldn't recommend it as someone's first investment. And I agree. I definitely think that there are other investments that are super low barrier to entry that folks should be taking advantage of as soon as they can. So for example, if you are employed and your employer offers a match through a 401k or you know some type of plan, you want to take advantage of that because that's free money. That's automated transfers from your your paycheck into this account that you can start investing right away while you're saving for your down payment for your first investment property, for example. Or you can set up your own IRA or your own you know traditional Roth IRA where you start investing small amounts. This is a super low barrier to entry when it comes to investing. Even paying off debt like you did, Bevan, paying off your own debt is a great investment in yourself saving money on interest, right, that you can get started with. So yes, um, if real estate investing is something that you aspire to do, it's a great idea, right, if you love it as much as Bevan does, but also consider the fact that, um, like you said, Bevan, there are other investments that you want to consider, and it's all part of diversifying. Exactly. And I I love what you just said, if you love it as much as Bevan does. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I laugh because, um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with my real estate. And I I think a lot of real estate investors will tell you that same thing. Um, And it's one of those things where it's, you know, a home is part of the American dream. And it's one of those things that kind of gets into our spirit. It gets into our blood. And we say, gosh, like, I just, I want to feel what it's like. I want to own these properties. Like it feels so cool to have these tangible assets that I can go look at and I can say, I own that. I'm making money on that. And, and I do, I do enjoy that. And I, I am still very glad to have my um, rental properties. Now, that being said, i I want everybody who's listening to really sit with themselves and consider what they want for their actual lives. Because I think for a lot of people, the ultimate goal isn't necessarily like, ooh, I have a hundred properties around town. That's what's making me happy. For a lot of people, the ultimate goal is, ooh, I have, you know, $2,000 a month in cash flow, or I have, you know, 
something that's accruing seven, eight, 12% interest. And I know that I can retire in 20 years or whatever it is. And so real estate's not the only way to get those things. And real estate's honestly probably not the easiest way to get those things. So I feel like really just kind of taking a step back and figuring out what the big picture is for you first, and then really being super honest with yourself to say, okay, do I need to buy a piece of real estate to make that goal happen? That is that is great advice. So, so Bevan, I want to take it back a little bit. And, you know, before we talk about research, which we mentioned, I wanted to talk about getting your first unit in terms of what your credit score was like and did you leverage any programs or any or are there any programs that you are aware of when it comes to real estate investing that you're able to share now i will say so unfortunately i am not very aware of programs when it comes to real estate investing obviously there are a ton of great programs for first-time home buyers who want to live in their home and things like that um, when I bought my first properties, I did have excellent credit. Um, I had, you know, as I mentioned, I had the cash available for the down payment. So I did it the kind of like easy way, quote unquote, the old fashioned way. Now, that being said, if I had it to do all over again, and I still had the same passion for real estate uh, when I was in my 20s, and I wasn't, you know, getting married and buying a house and doing that whole thing. What I recommend to all sorts of people who've got the bug and who just can't stop themselves is to look at the FHA program. And um, it's a, you're gonna have to jump through hoops. It's gonna be a little bit harder to get your first property. Uh, you might get outbid a lot more often, but stick with it because the FHA program not only allows you to buy with a slightly lower credit score, but it also allows you to put as little as three and a half percent down for your down payment. And you can put that into a property that has up to four units. And the cool thing about that is you can do something called house hacking, where let's say that you find a three unit property in your town that is $200,000. So you put three and a half percent down on that, which I'm not going <laughs> to do mental math right now, but is, I mean, less than $10,000, um, around $10,000. And then you can live in one unit, rent out the other two units and let the rent from those other two units pay for your mortgage and your expenses and hopefully cash flow you some money. Uh, you must stay in the property for at least a year, but then you can actually move out of the property if you choose buy another multi-unit property using the same program and do it over and over and over again. And if I if I could go back in time, that is definitely the route that I would take. Yeah, and you know, that's such a great idea if you're, you know, just thinking long-term and you're thinking broadly, I wanna buy my first home, but I also wanna get into real estate. Um, your first home could very well be a multi-unit purchase. When you live in it, you're able to qualify for whatever FHA loan program or other programs. Um, and then rent out the other places. And then after a couple of years, um, when you're ready to move on, you rent out where you were living and move on into your next investment property. And so when you're thinking about all these different programs, obviously, like Bevan said, there might be hoops for you to cross. Um, there might be a lot of different documentation, but programs like FHA make it, um, I guess, easier for people to purchase homes because they require lower down payments and lower credit scores. Can you use an FHA for more than one property that's not your primary residence? 
So it must be your primary residence yeah, okay. and, and you must live in the, in the residence for at least a year. So that's, that's where it kind of slows so down. So basically you're kind of like living, then moving, then living, then moving. So it kind of slows your pace, but obviously it gives you, it gives you time to, to plan accordingly and really look at the investments that you're making. And then when you talked about purchasing, you know, your first home and you had really great credit and for someone who's listening, who doesn't have great credit, going back to what we had talked about regarding other investment avenues you can begin with. So as you're investing in your 401k or IRAs, as you are saving for your first down payment, this is an opportunity for you to start improving your credit, paying your bills on time, pulling your credit reports, dealing with anything in collections, minimizing your overall debt to credit ratio and et cetera. So don't feel like, oh my God, I have to have perfect credit to buy a home. You can still create a plan, right? Because the reason why your credit is so important is because it ties directly into the interest rate that you're going to get. And every percentage point, half percentage points, quarter percentage points in interest <laughs> costs you money and increases how much you owe over time if you're taking a loan out to purchase your property. So that's just something to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, because you have to consider, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So those quarter percentage rates truly do add up. Yes, yes. So, Bevan, we talked about buying your home, multiple, buying your rent, rental units, and a lot of, a big mistake that I think first-time real estate investors make is they focus on the idea of purchasing their first unit or their first couple of units, getting tenants in, but they don't really sit down to determine what is my profitability what is my cash flow on this investment? So how did you determine your profitability on that first unit or set of units that you bought to make it make sense for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that I started really learning about and getting excited about real estate was through a company called Bigger Pockets, which is a real estate investing community and platform. They have all sorts of podcasts, um, including ones that don't even talk about real estate. They talk about just, you know, money and business and stuff like that, but they've got a ton of books and all these sorts of things. So I started listening to the podcast almost daily <laughs> and um, really just started like hearing other people's stories and learning about you know, the FHA program and all, the, you know, the kind of different tips and tricks that are available. And then um, one of the things that I learned by being a part of Bigger Pockets was like, you know, find your local real estate group. There is a local real estate group wherever you are. And that's what I did. So I reached out to a really great group here in Lexington called the Bluegrass Real Estate Investors Group. And I started going to the meetings religiously. I met a ton of local people who had done what I was wanting to do, uh, who were landlords, who were doing flips, you know, who were doing all run, ran the gamut. And um, I, I asked them for their, their advice and for their tools and, you know, for their spreadsheets, all that kind of stuff. So when I, uh, before I bought my first property, I would just start looking at all of the deals that were coming into my email. So one of the great things about this area is that there are several people here who um, 
are just constantly looking for off market deals and they will literally email you whatever deal they find. And so like literally today, I just got a deal in my inbox for like a $23,000 property that needs a full rehab. Um, but it's, you know, it's in some area. I can't remember what city it's in, but literally like as those come through, I'll just put them into my spreadsheet, run the numbers and decide, do I think this is a good deal? Is this going to cash flow at $200 a month, which is what I what I personally require for myself, you know, does this have a cap rate above 8%? That's something, you know, that I want for myself. And so my spreadsheet makes it really easy for me to just put in the particulars, put in um, information that like, I kind of have to intuit. So like, how much do I think it's going to cost to repair this? How much do I think the rent is going to potentially be in this area? You know, some things that I've had to kind of learn over time, with additional research, but by getting into that practice, now I'm at a point where I can look at a house that comes through and say, does this meet my personal criteria? Should I take a second look at it and then, you know, move on from there? That's, that's really important, um, doing your research and, you know, the way you assess yours. I love that. And I love bigger pockets. They have such an incredible um, real estate community. So that's an awesome resource for anybody that's listening that kind of wants to deep dive into real estate. They have the community, they have their podcast and through them, like you did, you can join local communities of real estate investors and just learn from other people's experiences. I think that's such an excellent learning tool. Um, when it comes to that. And I love how you, you know, when you're assessing the rehab costs, all these different costs. And so for someone who is new to this and you want to get into your first property, like Bevan, <laughs> get your spreadsheet. And what can you put on your spreadsheet? Well, what is the cost of this property, right? And you can run some online simulations with calculators online. What kind of interest rate would I qualify for a mortgage? How much do I have in a down payment? What is the repair? What are the repairs going to cost? And adding a buffer of paying the mortgage out of pocket for X amount of months in the event that you're not able to rent the property or sell the property if you're trying to flip it as, you know, based on a certain amount of time. So maybe you put in a six months buffer of, okay, I'm going to have a backup fund in here that I put aside to pay the mortgage in the event that I'm unable to rent for six months, right? Given like real estate or rental markets or sales markets in the area that you live in. So there's a, a number of different research and analysis points that you have to make, right? All these things that we've just talked about in terms of the cost, the interest rate, the, the rehab, any repairs, um, you know, if it's unoccupied, if you want to sell it, having a backup fund. But it is so worth doing this research because real estate is not like a stock where, oh my God, I don't want the stock anymore. I can sell it, click the button and it's sold at the closing <laughs> market and you have your money in your bank account the next day. No, this can be months, mm -hmm. maybe even years to sell a property depending on the overall cost, depending on the market, depending on the economy. And so that preparation ahead of time is so key for this asset that you cannot easily liquidate and likely need to hold on for quite a while. So, you know, it may seem like, oh my God, that sounds like a lot of the things on this checklist, but it is so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And everyone should do it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to that point, I just have to reiterate, there are a lot of things on the checklist. So if this is something that you're interested in, make sure that you love it. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be the fear monger here, but real estate is 
it has to be a passion or it's just, it's not going to make sense for your portfolio. Um, but that being said, I do want to just reiterate the first thing you need to be a real estate investor is a network. Do not try to do this thing alone. So I have a fantastic realtor who is amazing. She knows every single person in this town and she negotiates like nobody's business. And so, I mean, I like she she's my magic and she's an amazing part of my um, team. The rest of my network really, again, I met through this local real estate group where, um, you know, they just, they give me the inside track. I, I have people who tell me the off-market deals, you know, it's like, I, there's no way to do this thing by yourself. So definitely network first, practice your numbers, and then buy a property. <laughs> Don't do it in any other order, I promise. Okay. So, so Bevan, now you have four units, right? Um, are they rented out? They are, so three of them are rented now. I actually just had um, one of my units vacate. So obviously, you know, we're here in the time of COVID and um, everything's just been a little bit weird this year. So that being said, I've been very lucky in that one of my duplexes has stayed 100% occupied this entire time. Um, one, I had to one unit I had to vacate a couple of months ago, but just recently got that turned over and re-rented out. And now another one just got vacated this month, actually. So that's going to be in the process of getting turned over and rented back out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so I'm assuming that you have a cash buffer that helps you manage um, your repairs and when these properties are vacated and you, you have to still pay the mortgage because the bank wants their money um, mm -hmm. until you find a new tenant rate. And <laughs> you, you, can, you can have this backup from cash that you saved or just from rent that's in excess of the mortgage and expenses that you're paying. So how, how have you structured your own like backup fund um, for these repairs or for the apartments or the units being empty? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I do have this entire investment portfolio set up as a business, which means that I have a separate checking and savings account set aside specifically for my business and for, for these units. And so um, before I even made my first purchase, I, you know, put several thousand dollars into this account to make the purchase with the understanding that I would need at least $10,000 as a buffer just to, you know, take care of any sudden repairs or anything like that. So that's, that's my goal literally is like, as long as I have $10,000 in that account, I know that I'm doing something right. <laughs> and what I what I do is I have all of my rents go into that same account. I have all of my expenses come out of that account. So my mortgage comes out of that account. So everything stays in one place. I do not commingle this money at all with my personal um, finances. And so right now, my goal really is just to get to a point where 
instead of having, you know, 10,000, 11,000, $12,000 in that account, you know, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've got a significant buffer above and beyond. Now I can start paying myself a salary. So I don't consider the cash flow that I get for my units right now as income at all. Right now, that's just supporting the business. And what I am doing is growing my business to the point where I can start taking a salary. So just like with any other startup, you know, the owner's not really paying themselves for the first two, three years. And that's the same thing with my real estate business. I love how you have that structured. I, I just love it, love it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm highlighting it because I feel like a lot of people go into real estate investing and they just neglect that idea of this is a business, right? This is a business where you have money coming in, income, which is rent from your tenants, but you have expenses, which is your mortgage, which is the repairs, et cetera. And you want to get a profit so that you can buy more, invest back into the business, but you can pay yourself a salary as an owner and not just invest in real estate because it's trending for the sake of investing or not doing your research. This is, I love how you have that structured. So um, as a landlord slash business owner, landlady slash business owner, you have to collect rent. (laughs) So how do you manage your rent collection? Um, You don't have, you know, a lot of properties right now, but four is is plenty. That's four different people you have to deal with, um, you know, that may be contacting you for different reasons. So how do you manage your, your rent collection and even dealing with late payments? Sure. So um, until recently, so, so as of right now, all of my units are managed by a property management company. And I tried to resist the property management company for as long as I could because I knew that was an extra expense. And I figured, just like you said, you know, four units, that's not that many. I can, I can do this on my own. And um, so probably for about the first year that I was doing my uh, real estate, I was, you know, doing everything on my own. And after that year, I, w- I decided, good thing that I did the numbers with the property management company in mind, because I'm just going to go ahead and let them handle it. But before, before I put the property management company in place, um, I was using software. So I was using a company called Cozy.co to collect the rents. And the great thing about that is they allow you to collect rents online. They send you notifications when the rent's late. Um, But yeah, to be perfectly honest, like there are many times where, you know, my tenants would say, oh, can we just give you a money order instead? You know, we're worried that if we put it on our debit card, like another bill is going to come out at the same time. So I think one thing that uh, people need to understand when they're a landlord is that you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people who have their own financial challenges and who don't necessarily, you know, work their finances the same way you do or don't necessarily have things set to auto pay or, or whatever it is. And so I ended up sending a lot of text messages back and forth. I had people dropping off rent checks at my house, which I would not recommend at all. Don't give anybody your home address. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a challenge. And, um, you know, it's funny because, again, as I was doing my research, as I was planning, I, I read this great book called Managing Rental. It's called The Book on Managing Rental Properties. It's one of the Bigger Pockets books. And they give you really great advice about how to do all of these things. And so I figured, all right, I've got my plan in place. This is how I'm going to have my tenants do everything. Here's all of my paperwork. And then as soon as the reality of actual people came into play, 
I chucked the whole book out of the window and kind of had to start over from scratch. So long story short, I think it is kind of a trial and error and you have to just figure out what your um, systems are going to be. But ultimately putting the property management company in place has been so wonderful because now they're collecting checks or you know money orders or whatever it is through their system. And then they're the ones who are getting on the phone and making all those phone calls. And I get to act like the CEO of my business and just make large level decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I have had rental property in the past and the property management company was the savior <laughs> because the multi emails, especially about a repair and or just text messages or paying rent late or coming, where do we pick up the rent or did you put it in the bank account? All these types of things. And you have to remember that when you're dealing with tenants, you're also dealing with personalities. And there are very many types of personalities out there. Some people are just very like, oh, my landlord, she's my girlfriend. And (laughs) And when being a landlord or landlady is not your full-time job, you have people texting you at work, you know, people texting you at 9 p.m. Oh my God, my faucet broke. Text the property manager. I find that as you build your portfolio, that cost is worth it. And if you have done your research and you have structured your investments the right way, it will pay for itself with the profits you earn from, you know, the income you bring in from your properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you just gave us golden advice. And <laughs> one thing you said here was you, when you saw the reality of investing in real estate, so I'd love for you to share, what are some challenges or issues that you have faced on your journey? Sure. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like a plethora. Um, but I think the main thing really does, it comes down to the people. Um, and again, with COVID, uh, everything changed. And so, again, the good news is like, I've, I've got one property that actually came with tenants. And a lot of people tell you don't buy a property with tenants because you you did not place them. You don't know them. Uh, you don't know what their what their habits are going to be. Fortunately, these tenants have been amazing. I've literally never met them. I've never talked to them. Um, they they just pay their rent and it's fantastic. But then I have another property that also came with tenants, um, and one unit has just flipped twice because I don't know. It's cursed. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then the other the other unit um, was doing great. Then COVID happened. And unfortunately, you know, the people who were in there just got into a financial situation where they couldn't pay anymore. And I think for me, the real challenge there is that, you know, on the one hand, I am a business person and I bought these properties to make money on them. Um, And also on the other hand, I like to think of myself as a nice person, you know, and a good person. And I don't want to put anybody out of their house, you know, so the I'm sure I'm not the only person who's ever said this, but that kind of push pull between where your values lie and where your business lies is probably the biggest challenge that I've dealt with. And I think uh, that a lot of new landlords deal with. I couldn't agree more about uh, the values part of, you know, who you are as an individual, the things that you believe in, um, the things that 
you have empathy for and just being able to execute on your business. And I can imagine with real estate, for example, someone cannot pay their rent, especially right now. How do you navigate that? Knowing that you have your own bills to pay and you're just starting out. But then just in any business in general, I, I face that challenge all the time. There are certain things that I, I will not do because it doesn't align with my my values or my ethics, certain types of partnerships, certain types of, you know, just things that don't fit well with me as an individual running this business. And our businesses always reflect, especially when there's small businesses like we have, you know, we're not talking about big, massive corporations here because um, the, the, those tend to lose personality the bigger they become. But for small businesses, you'll find that your business is an extension of yourself and your values and your beliefs. Um, and I think it's good that you stand firm in what you believe and you try to do your best to support your business mm-hmm. as you would, you would other people and other things in your life. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it has been tough. And I, and again, like just with the pandemic, I, I stopped collecting late payments. So I just, you know, late fees have gone out the window. They're back now, but they, they were out of the window for a while. Um, and, you know, there's one of my units is recently flipped over. Um, and the the tenants decided to walk away from from the property, but you know, like evictions are suspended. We and I didn't want to evict them because I understood the situation that they're in. But I have a few months of lost rent on my books, and and that's part of it too. Um, and it's again kind of to the point that we were talking about earlier. The reason that I'm not stressed out about that is because I did have a substantial financial barrier or buffer in place to account for those sorts of things. But yeah, I mean, like I would not have been able to maintain what I believe in if I was, you know, so financially strapped and on the hook for those months of missed rent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, that is, they're they want to get into real estate investing they they're they're, they want to diversify their their investments or they just really like real estate they see opportunity they want to learn more um what advice would you give someone looking to get started that's listening to this right now yeah i mean just kind of back to what i was saying i would i would absolutely say give yourself time just if if today is the first day that you've decided that you're interested in real estate just go ahead and in your mind map out at least three months. Give yourself at least three solid months to read, listen to podcasts, meet people, and create your network. So start creating your network now, whatever that means, even if it's just going to an online forum, Bigger Pockets has those, and just start asking questions, um, regardless of what they are. You know, do a search on there for long term flipping, whatever. And then once you've done all of that, um, start to explore the world. So one thing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that there's a lot of ways to do this thing. So it's not just being a landlord. It's not just flipping houses. Um, you know, what else? It's not just Airbnb. Like there's a lot of different styles of real estate investing that you can do if you're, if you don't even have to own a tangible asset. You know, you, there are REITs, like there, there are all sorts of things that you can invest in. So do the research, decide which one fits your personality, fits your schedule, fits your lifestyle. 
and then start practicing the numbers. Do as much math as you can and then buy something. <laughs> Get your spreadsheets ready. <laughs> Get your spreadsheets ready. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned the different ways to invest in real estate because there are so many different ways you can, you know, own to rent, to residential, to commercial. You can um, rehab, flip, um, invest in real estate through the stock market. Um, be a cash investor in somebody else that is investing in physical real estate, commercial property, so many ways. So doing your research to find your niche within that whole real estate world is so important. Um, so take your time. I love that you said take your time, the three months. Just There's nothing wrong with going slow, especially with assets that are tied to a lot of cash and can take a lot, a long time to offload right? That it, they tie up your money. They're great investments if you get it right, but they tie up your money. And so as you approach it, you really want to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. And I also love your advice about network and just learning from other people's mistakes and experiences yes, um, is so, so helpful. So Bevan, thank you so much for sharing um, this information. I know we could spend a whole other hour or two talking about real estate, but you've really highlighted the really important parts, you know, and I, I appreciate you for sharing your experience. And I would love for you to tell us before we let you go, what your Clever Girl superpower is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that um, question. <laughs> it's, it's, so my Clever Girl superpower is that I have the ability to talk myself out of any purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I can be in Target looking at something that costs $2 and be like, do I need this? Probably not. Put it back on the shelf. So that's my superpower. Oh, I love that. We all need that kind of help, <laughs> especially at Target. Listen. <laughs> and the grocery store. <laughs> they, they pump something into the air. I promise you. I don't know what it is. That bedazzles us and makes everything glitter. Exactly. <laughs> like the lighting in there is just right. Everything looks so good. Um, so how can listeners keep in touch with you and learn more about you and what you do? Absolutely. So I would love for everybody to come join me on Instagram. I am just at Bevan Morgan. That's where I put all of my thoughts and feelings. Or you can come uh, check me out on bevanmorgan.me which is where um, I link to any articles that I've written or, you know, I put different products out every once in a while. So check me out there. And we'll be sure to add that your Instagram and your website to the show notes, as well as the bigger pockets resource that you mentioned. Um, thank you so much, Bevan. I appreciate you for being here and sharing your amazingness with all of us. No, <laughs> thank you. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.